Psalm 43, let's open our Bibles there if you're not there already. Last week, as you know, we finished 2 Thessalonians, and I praise God for that. We were in 1 Thessalonians for a while, and it was very fruitful. And today, for uh, the, the next four or five weeks, Lord willing, we're going to jump back into Psalms. And we've been doing this for a while. When we finish up a book on Wednesday night or on Sunday morning, we jump into the Psalms for four or five weeks and get ministered to. So the last time we were in Psalms, we finished on Psalm 42. So this morning, here we are in Psalm 43. And as the title of our message conveys, this psalm is a prayer during a time of trouble. Notice the title, crying out to God in a time of trouble. Let me ask you this morning, have you ever gone through a time of trouble? a season of trouble, maybe a day of trouble, a week of trouble, a month of trouble. Maybe this has been the year of trouble, or some of you have saying, man, what are you talking about? I've had a life of trouble. And uh, that's kind of biblical, because in Job it says, man is born for trouble, and the sparks fly upward. Well, the psalmist was in a place of trouble, and his trouble was rooted in opposition from an ungodly nation and a people who did not fear God. And as a result of that, he was being persecuted, and he was being opposed also, though, trouble was coming right from within his own heart. Because as that opposition came in, he had feelings that were telling him, God's not here. God's abandoned me. God's no longer going before me. And so this morning, as we look at this psalm, we're going to see how the psalmist dealt with these troubling issues. And how in the midst of this opposition, he found joy, how he found strength, how he found encouragement, and how he found hope. And so we need that instruction for us. There's a lot of practical instruction here, things that we can apply on an absolutely daily basis. We're also going to see just an awesome picture of Jesus in all of this as well. So let's read verses 1 through 5 and then jump right in here and go through this meaty 5-verse psalm that God has for us this morning. The psalmist writes here, Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation, Oh, deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For you are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And on the harp I will praise you, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Now notice how the psalmist starts out here. He's crying out for vindication. Vindication against an ungodly nation opposing him, as well as vindication in the midst of deceitful and unjust men. Now this word vindication, it's very uh, broad. It's a very broad word in the Hebrew. It has, uh, a, a, you know, it's, it's a big picture. Uh, to be vindicated, it means to be cleared of blame or suspicion. So there was blame being cast on the psalmist. There was suspicion being put towards him. Uh, problems in the land. They were saying, oh, it's this guy's fault. This is God's fault and so forth. And so this is to be cleared of that blame, to be cleared of that suspicion. Uh, this word means to be shown to be right, uh, to be reasonable or to be justified. So he's crying out, Lord, clear me of the blame of the suspicion as I put my faith in you and trust in you. Show me to be right. Show me to be justified in the stance that I'm taking for godliness. It also means to judge, to deliver, to rule or to litigate. 
So he's crying out to the Lord to come down and litigate in the midst of this dispute of these that are opposing God with these that are standing for God. It also means to avenge, to condemn, to contend, defend, or to execute judgment. And he's crying out for vindication from God Almighty. Now, before we move to the psalmist, and before we move to ourselves in the midst of these things, I want us to start by looking at Jesus. Because I think we see a great picture of Jesus here in the first verse, in that the Lord during his ministry on earth and the work of the cross, and even to this day as he's at the right hand of the Father, we have seen the bulk of mankind reject him. They've rejected his claim to be Messiah and is seen in the rejection of him as Lord. That's not my opinion that the bulk of mankind has rejected Jesus. Jesus himself said, wide is the gate that leads to destruction and many go in through it. So that's the Lord's assessment of these things. I think the Lord knows what he's talking about in those matters. And we've seen again in the Lord's ministry on earth, a nation that was called and set apart for the work of God to bring forth even the Messiah himself, Israel, really being opposed to God for the most part during Jesus's ministry upon earth. We know except for a remnant, the bulk of Israel rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's why this is first and foremost a picture of him, an ungodly nation that knew of God, rejected him except for a remnant. Now, praise God, the time is coming when all Israel will be saved. The time of the tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, says they're going to look on him whom he appears, and they're going to yearn for him. And that's a commentary not on Israel as much as a commentary on the faithfulness of God Almighty. He is so good to us. But during his time on earth, uh, in Acts chapter 2, when Peter is preaching on Pentecost, this is... uh, 50 days after the Passover, and they've waited for the empowering of the Holy Spirit, Peter just shares truth with Israel. Says, listen, you rejected him. You crucified him, but you're also witness of his resurrection, and now you need to call out to him for salvation and for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And that whole sermon in Acts chapter 2 revolves around that. And so Israel as a nation, again, in the Lord's first coming, rejected him. We also, though, know really since the fall of man, we've seen nation after nation after nation reject the Lord. Some walk with him for a while, but as generation after generation passes, it seems oftentimes that sin comes in and men forget why they started out in the first place serving God and nations have a tendency to drift from the Lord God Almighty. I think we see that in our nation that was founded on so many godly principles, that was really founded in part to make a nation where you could worship the Lord and the gospel of Christ could go forth. And yet, look, we are now in this drift from God Almighty. And this really is biblical prophecy even unfolding. In Psalm chapter 2, the psalmist writes about the nations rebelling against God himself. It says there in verse 2, why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things and we'll see they're raging against god and they're plotting and they're planning 
vain things. And boy, there's, there's a lot of planning in the world today, a lot of planning amongst the nations, a lot of meetings in Washington and Sacramento and City Hall and so forth. And very rarely in these meetings do you find them say, hey, we need to repent and seek Jesus Christ. You're not finding that a lot in the world. Verse 2, it says, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing. So they take counsel not just to say how we can figure this out, you know, all these issues, but they take counsel together against the Lord. That's a huge thing. Against the Lord, against his anointed, against the Lord Jesus. Jesus is his anointed. And then in verse 3, it says, they declare, let us break the bonds in pieces and let us cast away their cords from us. So they plot against the Lord and they plot on how they can cast God out. And we know in our nation, in the 60s, they plotted and they casted prayer out of the school system. They casted the Ten Commandments out of the school system. They said, things will be much better if we kick God out of here. I don't think it's worked out well. Don't you agree? It hasn't gotten better, but far, far worse. In verse 4, though, it says, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. And then notice here again, in his wrath and his deep displeasure, he's gonna come against them. And we see that now coming to a head in the world. As these nations all the more come together and we're seeing a Babel 2.0 as the Bible speaks of an end times one world government and religion and economy in the world you know what, there's more people ever on the face of the earth and yet the world is smaller than it's ever been through the internet and communication. And one of my kids just shared with me that uh, one, one of these companies is about to uh, put out an earbud that you can put in your ear and it will translate any language that's being spoken to you into your language. You, you talk about a, you know, what a reversal of the Tower of Babel, yet the Bible talks about this. And it comes to the point we know in the tribulation and at the end of it, uh, John got the vision on the island Patmos of all the nations raging against God and gathering together there in the valley of Armageddon and Jezreel to fight against God, believing they'll defeat him. Revelation 19.19, he says, And I saw the beasts, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And John must have been thinking as he saw that vision, man, they're so stupid. I mean, he's up in the third heaven seeing the glory and the power of God and the thundering, and he's on his face before God Almighty, and he sees these foolish men being led by the foolish God of this world, Satan himself, gathering together to fight against God, who's given them breath, who has sustained them, who even went to the cross to die for their sins to make a way of salvation, and yet they rage against him. You talk about a cry for vindication, for justice, for vengeance to come forth. There would be no greater scene in the history of the world for a cry for vindication and for vengeance. And so we see that with the nations, but listen, as the psalmist also talks about individuals, deliver me from deceitful and unjust men we also see that in the ministry of Jesus Christ and in the person of God Almighty. There are so many individuals that oppose him. They're unjust. They don't have a heart for God's word where right 
righteousness and justice is found. They walk in deceit versus walking in truth versus yielding their life to, again, Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. And we got to remember in that that, you know what, we're not going to be lumped into the nation's at judgment, we're going to stand before him as individuals. And the psalmist here talks about God pleading his cause against an ungodly nation, but then he also talks about individuals. And I think in there, there's a call to pray for nations. There's a call here absolutely to pray for individuals because these individuals that oppose the cause of Christ and the person of Christ, they're doing that out of a complete lack of reverence and fear for God, fear of God and yet out of a reverence and fear of man they're more concerned with what men think and so forth and pursuing the things of the flesh than a reverence for God Psalm 36 1 says an oracle written in my heart concerning the transgressions of the wicked there is no fear of God before his eyes for he flatters himself in his own eyes so again, instead of honoring God and fearing God and having reverence for God, instead he has that reverence for himself. He flatters himself. It goes back to the garden when man ate of the tree saying, I want to be my own God. And sadly to this day, despite all that came out of that, all the death that's come out of that, the war and the destruction and the disease, and out of all that, God gave me the promise of a son coming and a son coming and dying on the cross for our sins and being resurrected from the dead. Yet even in the midst of that, there's so many running around with no fear of God in their lives and instead they flatter themselves in their own eyes. Their own eyes that were given to them by God and their own person that was given to them by God. And you look at that and I don't know about you, but you know what it stirs in me, a cry for vengeance and vindication now again I, we'll, we'll talk about this in a second i want to be careful because that was me once as well and the only thing that saves me is 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 his grace and trusting in him yet the picture of man rebelling against god who is holy who is without sin it begins to shed real life a real light on the judgment how when that comes god's going to be glorified god is going to be honored and then as christ even came in his ministry, it was prophesied 700 years before he came that he'd be rejected by men, that he'd be opposed by men. Isaiah 53.3, the prophet wrote again about 700 years before Christ came on earth, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. We got to know in this that we either are for him or we are against him there's no middle ground in this jesus said in luke eleven twenty three, he who is not with me is against me and who does not gather with me scatters and i think a lot of people you know they kind of put themselves on the fence well i'm kind of for the lord but i'm kind of for flattering myself in my own eyes and yeah jesus is here and you know he's god and so am i god and we've you know, I'm God and he's God and we've worked out a deal here. And it's like, you, you, that's idolatry. You're, you're making your own Jesus. Not, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus says, you're either, you're either for me or you're against me. And, and there is no middle ground. There's no fence. We hear a lot about the fence. Well, they're on the fence. There is no fence. There is no tottering on the fence. He says, you're either, again, for me or against me. And notice here, he, the, the, the psalmist is crying for vindication against those that were against him. And though Jesus came to die for 
the sins of all mankind and is offering salvation. If you die in that sin, then the Lord's going to be vindicated and there's going to be a judgment upon you because you did not want to seek to escape that judgment through Jesus Christ himself. And as we've seen the nations, again, raging and the increasing of that, we also see it with individuals and the Bible talks about it. In 2 Timothy 3, it talks about how men will be in the last days. And some say, well, we're not in the last days. Well, the Bible declares we've been in the last days since Christ rose from the grave. And like 2,000 years of last days, that's too long. Well, remember the Bible says to the Lord, a day is a 1,000 years, a 1,000 years is a day, so we're two days in. Now, it doesn't seem very long, does it? And he says how men will be. And we see again a rebellion against God. Know this in 2 Timothy 3.1, but know this. So this is something we should know. This is something we should be aware of. That in the last days, perilous times will come. A time of peril, a time of distress. For men will be lovers of themselves. You know, you hear that all the time. Oh, you just got to learn to love yourself. We already do. That's not something that needs to be taught. Jesus said, love your neighbor as what? Yourself. You're already doing that, so start loving your neighbor like you love yourself. Oh, I don't love myself. Actually, you do. That's why you're so concerned with yourself. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty. And then notice here, and I think this is huge. I think this is in a nutshell for us in the West, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power from such people, turn away. Loving pleasure over God Almighty, and in doing it, again, coming against the person of God, the person of Jesus Christ, even in it, a form of godliness, saying, give me a form of godliness with pleasure, and men flock to it, but don't give me God, don't give me holiness, and so we see this, again, all around us and in our midst, but beautifully in this, listen, the Lord has already been vindicated in his resurrection, Listen, if you're saying you're wrong and crucified, we're going to crucify you, we're going to spit on you and all, this, all these various things, we're going to put a spear in your side to make sure you're dead, we're going to put you in a tomb, we're going to seal it and put soldiers around it with spears that if that thing's moved, those soldiers are going to lose your life. And three days later, the earth shakes, the stones rolled away and you raised from the dead, you are vindicated, would you not say? You were dead and you're alive. I call that victorious. The greatest comeback story in the history of the world, right? Acts 2.32. And that same sermon that Peter preached where he said, listen, you put him on the cross. He said in Acts 2.32, this Jesus God has raised up of which you are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God. That's vindication. Raised from the dead at the right hand of God and having received from the father the promise of the holy spirit he poured out this which you now see and hear and so now a church being birthed and an outpouring of the holy spirit upon that church that's vindication for david did not ascend to the heavens but he himself said lord the lord said to my lord sit at my right hand and then notice verse 35 till i make your enemies your footstool so he was vindicated in his resurrection. He is vindicated as he sits at the right hand of the Father. He is vindicated as the Holy Spirit works through his church. And he will be vindicated when he makes all his enemies his footstool. 
Because in these last days, in these times of peril, the Bible speaks of the return of the Lord. In the book of Philippians, in chapter 2, 9 through 11, it says that his name is exalted above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, or at the person of, at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow those in heaven, on earth, below the earth, and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ as Lord. That's vindication. That absolutely is the acknowledgement of truth. We also know that at his return, there's going to be a judgment. We read about, again, in Revelation 19, those nations gathered together. Well, have you read how that unfolds? It's, it's not a battle royale. Oh, World War Four, man fighting God for days on end. It's not that. Revelation 19, 15, now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he shall strike the nations. They're mowed down like bowling pins in a bowling alley. And it's someone that, you know, it throws strikes, not gutter balls. And he rules and reigns for a thousand years over those that don't take that mark of the beast in Israel as they cry out to the Lord. Then there's a new heaven and a new earth that we're looking forward to after that time. We know there's going to be a judgment in that. Revelation 20:14, before that time, and it says, Death and Hades were cast to the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And we look at that and we're, we're sorrowful in that and we should be. But let's be careful. Let's make sure we're not being humanist as we look at this. And all the emphasis is on those that rejected the Lord, who chose to reject the Lord, who said, I don't want the presence of God in my life. I don't want to follow God Almighty. I think that they they are going to be in a place where they're like, "Why, why would that change now? You know what? Get us out of his presence. But as humanists and people that have been trained to think putting man first, Wait a minute, let's remember in that day, God's going to be vindicated. God is going to be glorified in his judgments. He's going to be honored. You're righteous. You're holy. Man is not. And you have loved us so much, you made a way for any who would call on your name. And yet they still chose to reject you and rebel against you. And even in that time, uh, again in Revelation, this is, there'll be angels in the heavens preaching, have fear of God, call upon the living God, the earth being shook, all those you know what, bold judgments and, and seal judgments and trumpet judgments, and yet instead of repenting and turning from their sorcery and fornication, instead of doing that, they cry out to the rocks to fall on them, instead of crying out to the rock, Jesus Christ, to save them. And so we do see a picture of Christ here in the first verse. We also, though, see the psalmist who is being villainized for truly representing and walking with Christ and standing strong and the truth of God Almighty. And hopefully, and we'll talk more about this in a second, hopefully there are times when we're in that place as well. But I think we need to be careful. I think we need to be careful when we cry out, vindicate me, O God. Because let me ask you, first of all, are you in Christ today? Is he your Lord and Savior? Can you say amen to that? So praise God, we are in Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, and him alone. We're in Christ, but hear this, we are not Christ. And in our life, practically, we are not always Christ-like, are we? There are times when we are more reflective of who we were before we came to Christ than who we are called to be in Christ. And we need to be careful with such statements. We need to be careful of, you know, declaring our personal righteousness in our activities and crying out for personal vindication 
and triumphs in ourself because too often we are guilty of stirring up trouble in our flesh, stirring up opposition because of our flesh, and crying out in the flesh to God, vindicate me when we should be crying out, oh Lord, forgive me. Be merciful to me. First Peter 4.15, he says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody. Here's that busybody popping up again. We looked at that busybody a lot in 2 Thessalonians. Or as a busybody in other people's matters. Notice, don't suffer as these things. Don't suffer in walking in sin. If we want to willfully walk in sin, there's going to be some suffering that comes along with it. And there's some times when there's opposition and suffering in our life, not because we're standing for the righteous cause of Christ, but because we're walking according to our own heart and our mind. And let's, not be, let's be careful not to do that and then put a Jesus stamp on it. Well, I can act this way because I'm a Christian. That's all the more reason we can act that way. And if we're going to be truthful about it, I mean, is there anything that we ever do where there's like 100% purity in it? Can you say that? I can't. I mean, I know even myself as I'm up here preaching this morning, hopefully with an unction of the Holy Spirit, having studied and waited upon the Lord, I know that the proverb says in many words, sin is not lacking. You hear that little amen out there? <laughs> the, owl, the owl's back. The owl left Sunday night. It was crazy. I think an exorcism was performed on Sunday morning. But Jesus talks about this in Matthew 7. Get the log out of your own eye first before you start saying they got specks in their eyes lord vindicate me the speckled crew's coming after me vindicate me what about that log in your own eye how about forgive me first lord have mercy on me oh lord search me and know me try me and know my anxious thoughts see if there's any hurtful way in me and if there is remove it and lead me in the everlasting way i marvel i at, at david as i was reading through uh uh first samuel recently in my devotion and here he is you know being persecuted by king saul and david has done nothing but serve him and strive to bless him saul's wasting all these resources trying to destroy david who's not trying to drum up an army to overtake him or anything else and david's there and in getting with his men and saul comes and goes back into one of the caves that says to relieve himself and it's awesome if you ever get to go to Israel. We've, in our times there, we always go to En Gedi, down by the Dead Sea, this oasis in the middle of barrenness. It's a phenomenal place. And Saul goes in there, and David and his men are in the back of the cave, and they say, oh, this is the day God has given to you to triumph over your enemy. And David recognized it's not his place to take God's anointed, the king. He recognizes, if I do that, I won't be king. I need to let God unfold this. But he goes over and he cuts off a piece of his robe. And you're like, okay, well, that's not a big deal. You know what? He cut his robe. He can do that. He didn't kill him. That's all righteous. But afterwards, David was convicted by that. He was convicted that he even cut Saul's robe. And you see, instead of crying out immediately, vindicate me, there was a conviction and David corrected things. He said, it's not our place to do this. He looked at his own, again, uh, heart first of all, where no doubt he wanted to do that. And before he cried out, vindicate me, it was a cry of, forgive me, Lord. I think of Isaiah as he is heeding that call where the Lord says, who shall I send? And Isaiah is there in the heavenlies. 
And, and he says, I'm a man of unclean lips, though. And the Lord takes a coal from the altar and touches his lips as he is in the presence of God Almighty. You talk about a man of great faith to be caught up in the third heaven, yet he recognized, I need to have my, coal touch, my lips touched with a coal. Because here's the truth, as you draw closer to the Lord, the more you realize how filthy you are and how much you need. Like Paul, he says, I'm the chief of sinners at the end of his life. You're like, but you should have said that at the beginning when you're struck down on the road to Damascus when you're killing Christians. But at the end, he says, I'm the chief of sinners. So let's remember again, our righteousness, Isaiah 64, 6 says it is as filthy rags. And let's make sure if we're crying out for any vindication, it's us standing in the righteousness of Christ. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 30, uh, 35, 23, stir up yourself and awake to my vindication. To my cause, my God and my Lord, vindicate me, O Lord my God. Notice here, according to your righteousness, let not them rejoice over me. According to your righteousness. Not I'm righteous, Lord. Everything I do is righteous. Vindicate me. No, according to your righteousness. Your pure righteousness that's found by grace through faith in you that comes when we are honest before God. I deserve to be on this cross. I'm a sinner, but you're not Remember me when you come into your kingdom like the thief when he cried out to Jesus on the cross. Now listen, with that said, hopefully there are times when we are facing opposition and persecution for the cause of Christ. I'll repeat that. Hopefully there are times when we are facing opposition and persecution for the cause of Christ. Can we say amen to that? Oh, that was a weak amen. You're like, oh, amen. <laughs> amen. That's evidence we desire to live godly. 2 Timothy 3.12, we're familiar with it. Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Why is that the case? Because if you are striving to live godly, to please God, to honor God, to care only about what God thinks about the circumstance, not men, you are going to face opposition in a world where the bulk of the people are rejecting God. When you say all that matters in the situation is what God thinks, it may be misunderstood. People might not get it. But the bottom line is I need to honor the Lord. There's going to be opposition. You're going to stand for the gospel. You're going to stand for truth, for biblical marriage, for life at conception. You're going to stand for the truth and, you know, a six-day creation and God who created us and made us and all that, you're going to get opposition. You're going to stand in the truth that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. There's going to be some people that are going to oppose you, that are going to stand against you. It's evidence we're walking with them. Jesus said in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, you know it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world will love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. It should be a massive red flag when there's pastors and ministries being embraced by the world say, we love you. I always get suspicious when there's people on The View and Oprah, these pastors that are being embraced by them and praise being heaped on them. Why do they love you? What kind of gospel message are you preaching? Out of love, are you telling these people, listen, there's only one way to heaven and you need to repent and put your trust in him? Oprah years ago said Jesus is not the only way. 
you can go back and YouTube it when she had that 80s look and whatnot, you know? New ager. Probably with good intentions. But she said, I don't want to serve a God who says he's jealous. That's a big thing. I was in church and the pastor said, God's a jealous God. And she said, I don't want to serve that. You don't want to serve a God that's so jealous for you. He went to the cross to save you out of the hands of demons. You don't want to serve that God. That's an awesome God that loves you so much. He'd lay down his life to save you. That's how much he loves you. It's evidence we're living a genuine Christian life. 1 Thessalonians 3.3, no one should be shaken by these afflictions for you yourself. No, we're appointed to this. We're appointed to it. So in this opposition, and hopefully again, it's for Jesus' sake, what do we do? And we'll go through the rest of the psalm fairly quickly. We, we have to. <laughs> Number one, let's pray, and we'll talk about that in a second. We'll talk about this prayer, but let's also rejoice. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 10, blessed are those who are persecuted, notice here, for righteousness sake. Even Jesus said for righteousness sake, not unrighteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is why in Acts when John and, and Peter, you know what, are, are, they take stripes for the cause of Christ. I think it's in Acts 4 or 5. It says they went away rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ. And it wasn't thinking, oh, this is going to help us be saved. They're like, he saved us, and now we're counted worthy to suffer for that salvation for him who suffered for us. He says rejoice in that day. Leap for joy. Have an eternal perspective. Knowing, listen, I must be doing something right that there's opposition here. And I'm not being rewarded here from men, but... I have rewards in heaven that are going to last forever. So we should rejoice again in reward, but we should also rest on the judgments of God. Because if you're in Christ, the day's coming when you will be vindicated. The psalmist talks about being vindicated in his presence. When we stand before the Lord, there is a vindication. We, we don't have to run around trying to argue people into heaven and prove we're right. We should give an answer for the faith that lies within us. I, years ago, I moved past getting frustrated with, you know, trying to win the argument. Boy, when I was young, I was going to win every argument. I'll argue into heaven if we can't save you. You know? I remember Jehovah Witness being on the corner. I'd pull over and like, what are you guys doing out here? I scared a lot of them, man. I, might, I had my mullet and tank top. I was... 20 pounds of more muscle than I got now. What are you doing out here? Oh, uh, you're self-righteous. No, we're not. Yeah, you put your faith in yourself. And I got to win the argument. If I didn't, I went home angry. I don't have to win any arguments. The argument's been won. The day's going to come out when it's all going to come forth. This is why we're told in Romans 12, 17, pay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live peacefully with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place for wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. That day's coming. I also want to remember that day was, at one point, a place where I was under his wrath. 
I want to see people get saved. But that day's coming. We're going to be vindicated. Every knee's going to bow and every tongue's going to confess Jesus is Lord. But here's the deal. In that day, God's going to get the glory. God's going to get the praise. God's going to be proven right. And I'm just going to be one of his trophies saved by grace through faith in him. Also notice here in verse 2, the psalmist says, for you, for you are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? The psalmist is reminding himself in the midst of this, in the midst of the day of trouble, that God is his strength and where his strength comes from. Our strength physically, mentally, and spiritually comes from God Almighty and there's no one stronger. He made it all. He sustains it all. He died to save it all. He reigns over it all now and forever. That's who your God is. 1 Timothy 6.15, he who is blessed and the holy potentate, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It's fun to say, potentate. He is the authority. He is the ruler. That's who your God is. And we need to remember that at all times. And let me ask you, are you preaching that truth to your heart on an ongoing basis? The preacher you will hear more than anybody in your life is yourself. We need to remember that. We got to take these thoughts captive that lie against the truth. And notice he says, why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? He's our strength, yet there's times when we feel and it seems like the enemy is prevailing and we are cast off and we mourn because of our feelings. Have you ever been there? Yeah, he's my strength, but I don't feel very strong. He's my victory, but I feel defeated. He's my hope, but I feel hopeless. You look around this world today, that 2 Timothy 3 unfolding of times of peril, and it's easy to say, where's God in all of this? And beautifully, listen, we're learning from this psalm that we can bring those feelings before the Lord. We can come before him. Lord, I don't, I don't, I don't feel strong. I, Lord, I feel cast off. I got a mourning in my heart. He says, cast your cares on me because I care for you. Come, let's reason together. Lay down your yoke and take up mine. Lay down your load and your burden. Take up mine. It's light and easy. Notice verse 3, the psalmist says, Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. And the psalmist knew his own thoughts and feelings were poison. And I put on my notes, good on him. He could recognize that. Do we recognize that? When our own heart and feeling and emotion is lying against the truth of God Almighty. Listen, it happens often. The Bible says our heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. And there's so many times in our emotions, we start looking at life and so forth through our own eyes versus through biblical truth. So the psalmist cries out, Lord, send your light and your truth. Let them lead me. I want to be led by the truth and your light, not by my emotions and feelings that are lying to me. Psalm 119.05, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And notice where that leads us. When we get our eyes on Lord, when we get God's word open, it leads us into deeper fellowship with him, where there's joy and encouragement and strength. He says, let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. And as you stand in the promises of God, it's gonna take you into a deeper fellowship with the Lord. As we stand in our lying emotions or feelings, it's gonna 
drive us away from that fellowship with God as we lean on our own understanding. We're told not to do that, but to do what? Acknowledge God in all our ways, and he'll make our path straight. This was also a declaration, a reminder, again, of our final stop. He says, let them bring me to your holy hill and your tabernacle. We're sojourners here. We're tent dwellers. We are passing through. Our final place is in glory and the tabernacle of God Almighty. Listen, that's a bit of a pick-me-up, isn't it? In the midst of oppositions and so forth. Verse 4, he says, Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. On the harp I will praise you, O God, my God. And so sorrow and oppression and anxiety gets replaced with exceeding joy and great worship when? When we go to the altar of God versus our own reasoning, our own understanding, the altar of the counsel of men. When you go to the altar of God, there is fellowship that takes place as you get on your face and you got to be determined. I'm not going to pray about this. I'm going to pray through it. And I'm not going to get up until my burden is laid down and I leave with exceeding joy, with the joy of the Lord. And I'll tell you, there's great strength in that. In Nehemiah, there was great mourning amongst the people as they saw the oppression, the opposition of the enemy as they had come back to Jerusalem even after rebuilding the wall. Seeing their own sin and so forth would cause all this in the first place. And the, Nehemiah told them in Nehemiah 8.10, do, do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And notice here as the psalmist, or as the psalmist is at the altar, he says, listen, I'm going to take out the harp and I'm going to praise you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to get my eyes on you. I'm going to celebrate the living God. And then finally in verse 5, he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? And that's a great question. Why are there times and maybe seasons and days that for some people it's their life where they get so down and so disquieted in their heart even though they profess Jesus is Lord? Now, there might be varying factors, and I'm not going to go into them, but I can tell you right now, if you want biblical counsel concerning these things, and some people don't want that. Oh, don't give me the Bible. Just give me some, you know, some counsel from some men. Oh, they're an expert in that field. Jesus Christ made you. He's an expert in every field. Why are you cast down, oh, my soul? When your soul's cast down, you need to ask that question. Why are you cast down? Why are you in this place of gloom listen if it's a good reason if it's for the souls of men then go before god and pray for them but if your soul's just cast down because of life and the day of trouble notice here the answer in verse five why are you cast down on my soul why are you disquieted in me what's the, what's the answer hope in god get your eyes on god turn to the lord Get your eyes off of earthly issues and issues and get them on God and his eternal promises. Remember who God is and who you are in Christ. The many promises of Scripture, 2 Timothy 2.13, if we're faithless, he remains faithful. Why are you downcast? He's faithful. Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Why are you worried? Put your eyes on the Lord. Romans 8, 28, we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those that call according to his purposes. 2 Peter 1, 3, 
as his divine power has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue. Hope in God. Turn to the Lord. Worship God. Remember where you were before Christ, what Christ has done for you, who you are in Christ now, and your future and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, that even in the midst of all that's going on, he's wanting to work it for your good and his glory. Hope in God. And then he says, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. I'm going to praise him now, he's saying. I'm going to praise him forever. He's the lifter of my head, and him I have earthly help and in him i have eternal help and it's an everlasting help on an everlasting holy hill and an everlasting tabernacle through the lord jesus christ let's stand up and close in prayer and worship here well heavenly father we do bless you this day and lord we thank you that you are our hope and that you are a living hope who has conquered death and satan and sin oh god i pray this psalm would be just grilled into our hearts lord that it get in our crawl and wouldn't get taken out lord we are in a world that has so much peril in it there is such a opposition to the lord god almighty and lord we know in our lives there is an ongoing warfare and things that are being waged Lord, let us take this counsel and apply it. Lord, let's cry out to you. Let us be found at the altar of the Lord and the word of the Lord and hoping in the God of the word. Help us in this, Lord. We've preached the message. Now we're asking for your help, for a empowerment of the Holy Spirit of God in these matters. Maybe there's some, Lord, here that they've been in that funk for days on end. Maybe it is a mark of their life. Lord, I'd even pray this morning for a renewal of their mind and absolutely, Lord, for just a fresh move of God in their lives, even through the truth we've looked at here today and the work of the Holy Spirit. Can we say amen to that? And if you're here today, you haven't called on them. Listen, today, this day is the day of salvation. It is time to call upon the Lord. You're not on the fence. You're either on one side of it or the other. If you're against him, it is time to yield to him that you can say, I am for him because he is for me. Turn from your lords and put your trust in the Lord, the potentate, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, and he will wash you and cleanse you and he will meet you where you're at even this morning. Just thank you that you are so good to us, God. Thank you for our morning, Lord. Let us... Lord, finish well in the service of worship and praise of you. Let us lift our voice to you, God. We thank you and give you glory. Let's worship him. Though a thousand may fall in my side, though the enemy war against me, I will not fear the day.
Hey, you sung that like you mean it. That's good. God bless you. Have a wonderful day in the Lord Jesus.